I'm imperfect staff, but I'm thankful for the new bulletins. They look great. And if anybody asks you, yes, we know that that is in there, okay? A couple other quick announcements I do want to run by you. Don't forget, uh, for those of you who don't know, that Uncle Jerry Pertell, one of our missionaries, is up there at the fair working uh, his video trailer, showing the creation video. Uh, Brother Walker, Brother Noah went up there and worked this afternoon, passing out tickets for that. Uh, it's a free show for kids to come and hear uh, the gospel there on the video trailer, but they need help sometimes passing out tickets, inviting people. You're just kind of walking the midway, passing out free tickets to come and get on the trailer. Uh, they could use help this week. If you'd like to help, be sure and let me know. As long as the fair's there, they're going to be there. Uh, and then also, if you notice, there's a, uh, an older school bus out there on the other side of the bus barn. That is, their, uh, that is their home away from home. They're living in the school bus while they're working the fair. And uh, if you'd like to provide a meal for them, it's just two of them, Uncle Jerry and Brother uh, Landon. Is that his name, Brother Landon? That's his name. He's over there working with Uncle Jerry as well. Uh, if you'd like to buy them a meal, you know, they're just a couple of guys out there working. If you want to get them a hamburger or something, uh, they're staying over in that yellow school bus on the other side of the, uh, the bus barn, or you can go to the fair uh, and get them something there. They're doing a great work. Always see a lot of people saved. Always brings me the decision cards and lets me see how many people here in our town come to know Christ through that ministry. So uh, pray for them. Get by there. See it. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for people to be saved. Okay? John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's stand together. I don't think we have to read it, but let's uh, follow along in our Bibles tonight just to make sure that we get this right. Amen. John three sixteen. we know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because the Bible says he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you tonight uh, for a good day here in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the great spirit. Thank you, Lord, for our people that are faithful to come, those that can't come. Thank you for those that are faithful to watch, and I pray that you bless tonight as we open your word, that, Lord, we would hear from you. And, Lord, I, I genuinely desire that. Lord, I want to hear from you tonight. I know the message you've given and the burden you've given, and, Lord, I pray you'd help us to preach it, uh, teach it, share it in a way that would be pleasing to you, but then, Lord, help us respond to it. I pray that we would not uh, tune out our hearts tonight for whatever truth your Holy Spirit brings our way. And help us, Lord, during the invitation just to be obedient for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll do something a little different tonight. I'm going to introduce the message with another verse, if possible, or verses out of Psalms chapter number 8. Psalms chapter number 8. I'm going to introduce the message through that. It's one of my favorite psalms, and uh, really I can relate to it. I think you could too, and I'm going to read some verses out of that, and then we're going to go back to John chapter 3 to kind of help you understand a very simple burden the Lord has in the message tonight. Psalms chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I love the fact there's an exclamation point there, because what a true statement that is. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? At the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still, still the enemy and the avenger. Now watch verse 3, watch verse 4. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What a great question to ask. And the son of man that thou visitest him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. 
Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. What's interesting in verse, verse 3, verse 4, particularly verse 4, it says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou art mindful of them? I think David is sitting around, and I don't know about you, but from time to time, I'll go throughout my day and be thinking about just how good God has been to me. It's easy to focus in on things that are wrong and things maybe that not be as we would like them to be. But boy, maybe sometimes you have some windshield time. Or the Steve and I was talking about that yesterday, uh, about going down the road. You know, you have a long commute to work and you have an opportunity to commune with the Holy Spirit and just let him talk with you and you talk with him. And he begins to show you in your life all the good things of God. And you begin to wonder, why is God so good to you? Why is God so good to me that God blesses us the way that he does and that God is mindful of us? Isn't it wonderful that a holy God is mindful of fallen man? You ever think about that? A holy, almighty creator God and how mindful he is of man and not only mindful enough to consider us, but he was so mindful he showed compassion on us. We just read it in John 3, 16. He did not just be mindful of who we are and where we were and the plight that we had, but he had compassion on us in sending his only begotten son. And then after we get saved, he's not done with us. You know, he could have easily said, all right, I saved your soul. I'll see you when we get to heaven, okay? Don't bother me anymore. And if he'd have done that, he'd have been justified in doing that because he did more than enough in sending Jesus to die and providing the opportunity that we could be saved. But then after we're saved, watch this, he sends the Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit of God is ministering in our hearts. He ministers in our minds. He ministers to the Word of God. I mean, God just sticks with us, don't he? And isn't it wonderful that God is so mindful of us? That not only did he send Jesus to die, but after that, he desires to use us in our life on this earth in his will after we get saved. Here's what I want you to think about just for a few minutes tonight. After we get saved, we come to church. We hear the word of God preached, or maybe we're home and we open our Bible and the Holy Spirit begins to minister in our hearts and God begins to either convict us, guide us, or direct us through his word and through the Holy Spirit. And every time that God comes and speaks to us, he is offering us opportunity. All right, never mistake that. When God comes to you, whether it be in direction, to give direction, understanding, or even he comes to us and gives conviction in our life, you understand God is offering you an opportunity that, by the way, he did not have to offer. He didn't have to consider us. He didn't have to send Christ. He does not have to offer us opportunities of repentance. He does not have to offer us opportunities of service. He doesn't have to offer us anything, and yet God still does. Man, it kind of makes you feel special to realize how mindful God is of us. And by the way, even when we turn him away, his long-suffering and mercy, that he still comes and he still offers to us opportunities. Now, you say, where are we going with that? Well, I'll tell you. Undoubtedly, because we are so used to it, Sometimes I believe we neglect to realize the awesome opportunities that come with God's offers. 
Because we do come to church and we hear from God through his word and through his spirit and God keeps knocking on our door either for salvation or after we're saved to serve or to surrender, we get so used to it, we kind of put it off, don't we? You know, I will do that later. One day, I've got this day in mind rather than now, which is what our theme is. You know what? I'm just going to do what God is offering me and leading me to do now. And a lot of times, here's what it is. I don't believe we understand what God is offering. We don't understand. You know, we kind of think maybe like a telemarketer. It's just cold calling, right? You just got these people randomly calling you uh, to offer you things that maybe you don't need. That happened to me just the other day, and now it rings up on my phone. I don't know if you've seen this before, but it says healthcare. You look at the call. Now, it's not a doctor's appointment, okay? I checked before. You're thinking, that's your doctor, dummy. No, I've checked it before. It's not my doctor. They're trying to help me with my Medicaid, my Medicare, which I don't have any. They're just calling random people, seeing if somebody will buy it. You know, that's not how God works. All right? When God comes to us and he knocks on our heart's door, he stirs our heart, or he brings conviction, or he gives direction in my life, God is speaking to who he's talking to. Sometimes I believe we neglect that, thinking, you know what, God's just kind of a shotgun blast of conviction, and if anybody comes to the altar, God's going to be satisfied with that. No, God's not satisfied until those that he sent the message respond to the message. God's not satisfied until you accept the offer of what he desires in your life. And could I tell you, all that God offers is good. It's always good. Why? Go back to Genesis and look what he made. It's always good. You're like, well, he convicted me of my sin today, and that sure didn't feel good. But repentance does. Doesn't it feel good to be right? I mean, I love it when I'm right with God. I feel like dirt when I'm not right with God. I love being right with him. And it takes conviction to get right, so we ought to be thankful for the conviction. But we're so used to God dealing with us, we're thinking, you know what, maybe I'll deal with that later. We don't really understand what God is offering us. And tonight I was, I was praying about what to preach. I wasn't exactly sure what the Lord wanted us to settle in on. And he led us to John 3, 16, the greatest offer that God has made all of mankind. And we're going to look at this offer. And obviously salvation is in there. If you're lost, I pray you'll get saved tonight. I really do. But I believe a lot of you probably already are saved. And I want you to see the principles by which God offers us things that will help you understand an offer from God. And that's the message tonight, understanding an offer from God, okay? Before you refuse it, before you don't answer the spiritual phone that God rings in your heart, I want you to understand exactly what God's offering and understand the offers that come from God. We're going to start at the bottom of verse 16, okay? John chapter 3, verse 16, we're going to start at the bottom. The Bible says, we'll start at the top and we'll work down and preach from the bottom. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Now watch these last four words. The Bible says, but have everlasting life. The key word I want you to focus in on there is the word have, is the word have, okay? God is not offering you a dream. God is not offering you some baseless hope. God is offering you, when God comes to you and God makes an offer to you, stick with me tonight, God offers us a possession. That's number one. That when God comes to you, God's not just offering you a fuzzy feeling. Now, don't get me wrong. I like a good fuzzy feeling when I can get one. 
It's not very often, you know, not like when a caterpillar's crawling up my arm. I'm talking about, I like a good emotional feeling when I can get one. I like encouragement when I can get that. But that's not what God's offering you here. When God comes to you, God is offering you something real. And when he came to you and offered salvation to you, and through the Holy Spirit of God convicted your heart about your sinful condition and offered you a way out of an eternity to hell, he was offering you something real. Salvation is real. It is a possession that I have. The Bible says that when I put my faith and trust in what the Lord Jesus Christ did, I have salvation. I possess it. What does the Bible go on to say? Well, all throughout Scripture, John 10, 10. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Hey, God's coming to you. He's convicting you. Look, he's not there just to bother you. You're thinking, the Holy Spirit, you know, he's kind of like the bounty hunter of God, right? That bounty hunter comes around, knocks on the doors, you know. He's here to get you because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And we look at the Holy Spirit that way. No, that's not what the Holy Spirit's there to do. The Holy Spirit is there to present to you something from God that you can have by way of possession. What does the Bible say? We quote this often in Reassurance of Salvation, 1 John 5, 13. Believe on the name of the, only, of the Son of God that you may know that you what? Have eternal life. If you're saved, you have something. Heaven is real, right? The Holy Spirit that lives in your heart. After you got saved, that's real. I know that he lives because he lives within my heart. It's not just a warm and fuzzy feeling. It's a possession that I have. So when God comes to you, even after you're saved, listen to me. He's offering you something real, something that you could have. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I want you to understand these are serious. These are serious offers from God. The other day, I was, I was looking for something on uh, Facebook Marketplace. My wife uh, has mentioned before she'd love to have an antique Airstream camper, the little bitty one. Looks like a pill on wheels, you know, a silver pill on wheels. And I always keep my eye out, but those things are really expensive. And I was scrolling through Facebook Marketplace the other day, and I saw one for $800. I thought, man, that's a really good deal because they're usually thousands of dollars to get one. It was beautiful. And so I, I instantly messaged the person on Messenger. I'm thinking, that deal ain't going to last. You know, somebody's going to snap that up. One of our church members are going to see it, and they're going to buy it, and then I'm going to be jealous and quench the spirit of the church. And so I messaged them as quick as I could, and all of a sudden, I get a message from El Salvador. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to drive it all the way to El Salvador to get that thing. It wasn't real. I began looking in the comments. Everybody said, scam, scam, scam. I'm like, good grief. You know, you hear about those you know, people who stumble upon those really good deals. I'm not that guy. I thought I was for about 30 seconds. Man, I found one. It's a good deal. And I sent the message. I'm like, yes. And there's Christmas right there. I could already see it parked in the, in the driveway. You just have some garland on it, some jingle belt, put lights on it. Man, I already had it all figured out. It wasn't real. It was a scam. Boy, the world's full of those type, type of offers, aren't they? Satan is full of those type of offers, isn't he? You see, he's the one who comes to you and says, hey, I want you to have this. What did he tell Eve? Eve, you could have all of this knowledge and you could have that understanding like God has. But oh, it cost her. She didn't have what she thought she had. 
To Judas, he could have all of this wealth. Boy, I'm offering you. He had no clue what it was going to cost him. It cost him everything. All throughout Scripture, Satan offers us. But the Bible's clear in John 10 that the thief has come but for to steal. That means the devil doesn't want you to have The devil wants to take. It's God that wants you to have. And when he comes to us, we sit in church. I mean, mean, seriously. I told told Brother uh, Zach's uh, in-laws, they're here visiting with us, and we're glad to have them. And I was telling them at lunch uh, uh, about how sometimes people's faces aren't always the most attractive thing while you're preaching. I'm not talking about cosmetically. I'm talking about countenance. And I'm serious. We did get a sign put up there that says, what is my face saying? Everybody needs to ask that question right before the preaching. What is my face saying? Okay, why? Because our, our countenance doesn't always reflect, you know, what's going on in our heart and what's going on in our life. I say, where are you going with that? Well, here's what I want you to see. God offers you something real tonight. And it's something that starts on the inside and overflows on the outside. He's the health of our countenance. It's something real that goes away, that's there when the feelings go away. It's there when people go away. It's there when times are good. It's when the good times, as Miss Lynn sang about. It's the bad times, as Miss Lynn sang about. It's real. That's what God's offering you. And when the Holy Spirit comes to us and we're sitting there in church, I can't wait to get out of here. Look, LSU plays tonight. I wore my tie to represent, all right? Probably the start of another sad year for us, okay? Man, I'd rather be here. Amen. Thank you, Brother Josh. I'd rather be here. I'd rather be here. Why? Because what God offers me in this place is real. I mean, I'm serious. We sit around sometimes, and I look out at folks' faces, and I'm thinking, do they just come to leave Do they not realize there's an almighty God who's mindful of us and he knows our state and he knows our needs and he wants to give them something real and we sit back and we just look like, well, bless me if you can. I assure you I can't. If you're waiting on me to bless you, you better go to the church down the road. I can't, but oh, God can. And when God comes to you, And God is making an offer to you, just as in John 3, 16. He's offering you something to have, something real. Boy, look, if we knew what God desired to offer us and what God wanted us to have, you ought to have your spiritual ears all alert. I'm listening for it. I don't want to leave here missing it. Why? Because God offers us a possession. I quote him often, but boy, I don't know that it gets much better than Jim Elliott. He is no fool that gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott gave his life not in vain. He gave it for something real. And oh, God offers us exactly what he's offered all throughout Scripture, something that we can possess, the promised land that he offered Moses. That was real. The lineage and the inheritance that he offered Abraham, that was real. It was so real, the Apostle Paul said this. He says, I count all things for loss, but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Now watch this. Listen close. He says, I count these things loss for. For. People look at old Paul and say, man, you are wasting your life, brother. You had it so much better before you met Christ. Oh, no. He didn't have anything. He says that was all dung. You can look up the Greek on that one. It's still dung. (laughs) In the Greek, in the English, it doesn't matter. It was still done. He said, that's nothing. 
I counted it but lost. Why? Because I found something that I can have. It's a possession and it's real. Boy, you need to get you some of that. Oh, it changed your life. It put a smile on your face to realize that what God has given us and what God still offers us is a possession that's real. It's something I can have. It's not a scam. The Bible says in John 15, we looked at it this morning. Boy, the Bible says that we can have that fruit. We abide in Christ. We can have that fruit. He offers us that fruit. Boy, I tell you, when you meet one of those heroes of the faith, you know it, don't you? You know it. I've met a few in my life. I'm not talking about famous people. I'm talking about faithful people. Faithful people. We jokingly talk about a few, few men and women that we know in the Lord. And uh, I've been around them when they pray. And I'll be honest with you, you got your eyes closed and they're praying, but you're peeking to see if Jesus is standing there because it sounds like they're talking right to him. You see, they got something real, a close, personal, intimate relationship with Christ. But I want you to know, look, God offers that to us, but we've got to be willing to hear it out. You know, you say, I've I've gone on eBay several times in my life. Boy, that'll get you in trouble, won't it? And I love the make offers. (laughs) They said make offer. They, They laugh at me when I make offers to them. And boy, you'll make an offer and you go back and forth after a while, after a while, and they just won't receive the offer. And that's okay. They missed out on my business. But oh, how you miss out and I miss out. When God makes us an offer and God comes to us, he says, I I want you to have something. So number one tonight, understanding an offer from God. Understand that God is offering you something to possess. He has something that he wants you to have. You start reading your Bible with that in mind. You think about Ephesians chapter 5. He gave us those verses because he wants us to have a happy home. That's why he put it in there. Ephesians chapter 6, we go reading that, about the whole armor of God. He wants us to have a successful Christian life. Folks, do, do we think these are fairy tales? I mean, I know we teach this in Sunday school to our little kids. You, you know, this stuff's real. And it leads to something real that you could have in your life, not just talk about. Boy, it means so much different when you can sing about something that you have than something you don't. Amen? Number one, understanding an offer from God, it begins with realizing God offers us a possession. But then let's work back in John three sixteen. He says, I want you to have everlasting life. Well, the Bible says, how do we get that? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, watch this, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God says you can have, but there is a qualifier there. In order to have it, the Bible says whosoever has got to do what? Whosoever has got to believe. So God says, I'm going to provide this for you, but you have to provide the second thing I want you to see tonight. God's offers require participation. All right? So God offers us something to possess, something is real that we can have, but there is required some participation on our part. Boy, I'll tell you, my brain began to to run ragged this afternoon as I began looking through Scripture, realizing how many times God offers us something real, but then to find that there is always an area of participation in our part. 
Now, is grace there? Absolutely. God can give you something and just give it to you because he loves you. And boy, he's good at that, isn't he? I'm thankful for grace, where God gives us something just right out of the blue. I'm thankful for that. But God offers us so many things in Scripture, but they require our participation. There's a part that you've got to play in possessing what God has offered. So what did he say in verse 16? He says, I offer you everlasting life. What is the participation? You've got to choose to believe. You've got to choose to believe. Now, here's what's interesting. When you go back and look in the Gospels at the life of Christ, he did everything possible for us to have eternal life that, other than accept it for us. He did it all. You look at his life. The Bible says he lived a sinless life. He was in all points tempted as you and I are. He lived the perfect life that I couldn't live for me. He, by the way, I think we underestimate the sinless life of Christ. We look to the cross and how important the cross was, but living that sinless life, being tempted in all points that I would be tempted in and overcoming them for me, can you imagine how hard that was? And yet he did it. He did it. And then he goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He says from the cross, it is finished. I've, I've paid it as far as I can pay it. It's all paid, but you've got to receive it. You've got to believe it. You see, God offers us something real that we can have, but we have to choose tonight to receive it, and we do that by what? By believing it. By believing it. You see, what it boils down to tonight is simply this. If we truly believe what God's offering is real, if we truly believe that what he offers is something we can possess and have in our life, whether it's joy or peace, whether it's victories we talked about this morning, if we truly believe it, we're not only going to hear him out, we're going to receive it. We talk about what we believe, and boy, we like to talk about what we believe, don't we? Uh, I mean, that just comes with being a Baptist in Mississippi. We love talking about what we believe. But you know, what we truly believe is what we truly receive. Would you think about that? All right? Don't talk about how much I believe this and believe that, and the Holy Spirit comes up to you, and you're like, no, thank you. No, that's not how it works. If we truly believe it. Now, look, when I got saved, I truly believed that whosoever could be saved. I truly believe that. And I truly believe that I could have everlasting life as a personal possession of mine. I truly believe that. He said, how do you know that? I put my faith and trust in it. I believed it. And I still believe it. And I'm going to be believing it all throughout eternity. And hey, you ought to believe it with me. Amen? That way we can believe it together. And we can start our own club in heaven. Amen? That's what we do, right? We start clubs when there gets more than one of us. The Bible says we believe. That's a participation that we make. And when we receive it, we're showing that we believe it. But what does it mean when we don't receive it? We don't believe it. Uh, several years ago, I think I've told this story, but um, I won't go into all the details of it. Someone broke into the prophet's chamber at our church in Louisiana. You remember that? That guy that broke in, stayed the night? Yeah, creepy dude, creepy dude. He broke in and he stayed in our prophet's chamber and, uh, man, it was weird. We walked into the prophet's chamber. It was out back behind our church. It was a separate building. And opened the door, and on the bed were these military binoculars, a military backpack, and all these bags. I'm thinking, man, we have a terrorist right here on our church property. I thought I'm going to have the best illustration that any preacher ever had. I had a terrorist staying here on our property. And so we got the cops out, and we're all looking at this. And while we're looking in the building, we look over in the woods. No kidding. My wife was there. This man walks out of the woods with a Domino's pizza box in his hand. 
it was the man staying in our prophet's chamber, no Joe. And he just walks right on in with me and the cops standing there as well. And I, he, I forget what his name was. It started with a P. He was, a, he was down from, uh, from Homa, Louisiana. And the cops are interviewing this guy. He says, look, I was homeless. My wife kicked me out. I needed a place to stay. And I found this door. And I went in and I slept last night and all this. And they're asking me, Pastor, you want to press charges? I said, no, not really. But I want to talk to this guy, you know, find out if he's on the up and up. So we sat on the stoop of our church and we talked for, I don't know, 30 minutes. Lost, lost as a goose. And we sat there and I shared the plan of salvation with him. And uh, he says, look, I grew up Catholic. And he says, I believe what I believe, and, and that's all that I believe. And he says, if, if what you say is true, then I'm a lost soul, and there's nothing you can do for me. And I hated to see him leave lost. He, he left, walked down the highway, and never saw him again. Before he left, he came up to me and says, Pastor, I am so sorry for causing all of this commotion. I said, look, it's okay. It'll be a great story for me to tell at church on Sunday. You know, a good illustration is worth it sometimes. He says, before I go, I want to give you something to show you that I'm sorry. I said, no, 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 it's fine. Look, you don't have to give me anything. You know? He says, no, 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 I want to give you something that's more than worth the trouble. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what is in that Dollar General bag that he's about to gift me? And I said, no, man, no, we're good. We're good. He says, no, I want you to have this. He said, inside this bag are three precious medallions. My first thought is, tell the sheriff's deputy, wait up just a minute, are there any medallions missing in our town, okay? He said, there's three medallions, and they're worth $10,000 a piece. That will be more than to cover the trouble that I've caused you. And I said, man, I forget what that guy's name is. I says, no. I said, no, no, no. He, he says, no, I, I want to leave this for you. And so he left it right there on the corner of the bed, and he walked out. Well, after a while, I got to thinking to myself, I, I would like to see what he left behind. And so I went back and opened up the Dollar General bag, and there were three brass medallions about that big, with a screw hole on the top of them where somebody had them screwed to their wall. Looked like they came from Goodwill or something along that line. Somebody's wall art that they threw out back in 1975. And I got to looking at those things and I'm thinking, that's what I thought. That's about what I thought. You see, I, I didn't receive them. I didn't want them because I didn't believe they were what he said they were. All right? That's the way we do God. We don't receive it because we really don't believe it is what he says it is. I don't know that, look, we talked about, talk about this morning, the peace that passes understanding. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Because you know, watch this, that when Christ died on the cross, he secured that for us. Through Christ, we have peace with God. He secured that for us. If we really believe that peace that we can have with God and a peace that passes understanding, oh, would we receive it? But I think we treat the Holy Spirit the way I treated that man. no, no, no. I don't believe in that stuff. You see, if we receive it, we truly believe that it is what God says it is. And God says, look, I offer you something real that you can have, but the kicker here is you've got to believe. I'll give you an example. Second Kings chapter 3, remember when Elijah told them to dig the ditches? He says, look, I just want you to go dig the ditches. He said, God will provide the water. It's not going to rain. There's going to be no wind. God's going to fill those ditches up. Do you know how they showed whether or not they believed that was going to happen? They dug the ditches. If God says, I'm going to supply all of the water that you need, you just got to dig the ditches. Hey, go dig the ditches. Told of our kids the other day, if God said it was going to rain nacho cheese tomorrow, I'd go find the biggest bowl of chips I could find. Why? I like nachos. 
And if God says it's going to rain cheese, I'm giving you, hey, I don't care what you say. I'll be sitting out here in the parking lot with my lawn chair and my chips waiting for it to happen. You can take pictures, post them on social media, look at our crazy preacher out there. But if God said it, I believe it. And if I believe it, I'm going to act upon what I believe by showing a little bit of participation do you know why I think we miss out on all that God desires to do in our life? We're not willing to show a little participation. Show some effort, folks. The Holy Spirit comes. He offers us a possession, and he says, you got to add some participation. you got to be willing to do something. Another example, 2 Kings chapter 4. We read about the widow. She was worried about her creditors. And what did he tell her to do? He says, I want you to go and borrow some pots. And I love the language. He says, borrow not a few Go get several. I mean, I'm telling you, look, if he said it was going to rain nacho cheese, I'd have more than one bowl of, bowl of chips. Why? Because I believe God's a big God, and he's going to deliver. The Bible says she went and she got all the pots, and her sons brought her pots, and they said, I need more pots. And he says, there's no more. And they were all filled. But you notice what she received as her possession was a reflection upon her participation. What if she'd only brought one pot? Well, I mean, I heard that preacher said, this is kind of crazy, man. You know, God wants me to go get this pot, and I'm just going to keep pouring out oil and oil and oil. I mean, come on, I'm going to believe that. Okay, that's fine, but you're going to receive what you believed. And if all you believed was an eight-ounce cup, that's all you're going to receive? All right, now, I know I'm sounding like Joel Osteen, but stick with me, okay? I'm not talking about naming and claiming. I'm talking about God says you can possess something, but you've got to participate in the belief department, and the effort we put forth shows how much we believe. It does. How many ditches have you dug for the Lord lately waiting for him to fill them up? How many pots have you gathered lately waiting for God to fill them up? All throughout Scripture, we see those opportunities God gives for us to have something, but we've got to participate. Matthew 6, 33. We want the last part, all these things, but he says, you got to seek first. You got to seek it first, and then all these things shall be added. I'm not saying God's going to bless you with a new Ferrari. I'm not saying God's going to bless you with a big house. I'm not saying he's going to bless you with a million dollars, but I do know that what God does give you is something worth having, but you got to participate. You got to say, you know what? All right, I'm going to seek him first. We sit back and say, Lord, I'm waiting on all these things, and then I'm going to get on board. Oh, you're going to miss out. He said, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. Proverbs 22, 6, what does it say? Train up a child in the way it should go. When they're old, they won't what? Depart from it. Man, isn't that what all of us want to have? But it says, hey, you've got to put some work in on the front end. You've got to train up that child in the way they should go. Do we believe it or not? If we believe it, then we're going to put some effort and participation into achieving that God, all that God has provided for us. So number two tonight, God offers us uh, God offers us possessions, but we have to put in some participation. So go back to verse 16. The Bible says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we see the possession. We see the participation. And then finally, notice, if you will, the first part. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, this one's interesting here. Because in him giving the son, do you know what he was doing? He was paying for the possession that we could have. He was making the payment. Now, this is important. Number three, I want you to notice God's offers have already been paid. God's offers have already been paid or purchased tonight. Now, stick with me. Salvation, we know that Christ went to the cross to pay a price that we could not pay. We know that. 
We were not perfect. We were not holy. We were not sinless. And Christ went to pay the price that we could not pay for ourselves. We know that. But we also know, look, you've been around this long enough to realize that salvation is much more than not heaven and go to, I mean, not hell and go to heaven, right? There's a lot of benefits that come along with salvation I think we forget about. This morning we talked about peace. Now think about this. The Bible says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ on the cross, not only did he secure my salvation, but he secured that peace for me. So think about this. Stick with me. So when the Holy Spirit comes to us and he offers us peace, we've got to understand that peace came at a price. He paid for it. The peace with God that was a good works. He comes to us and convicts us and gives us the offer to be a part of his good work. And we're like, shh, shh, shh. Do you know what it cost for us to have the opportunity to be a part of his good work? Do you know that? We're thinking, oh, you know, I've been in church all my life. I can, you know, I'll sign up for something, be a part of something. Do you know what it cost? For us to have the opportunity to be a part of the good works that God desires to do through our life. On on the cross of Calvary, he was dying to secure our opportunity to become the sons of God. Thank God for that. But through that, there comes that peace. That peace came with a price. That joy we talked about this morning, the joy of the Lord. Do you know what it cost him to secure that joy for me? Go back and read the crucifixion. Go back and read the scourging and all that Christ went through. Look, he was paying the price for everything he offers us. And we're like, ah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. You ever wonder tonight what is on the other side of a little bit of effort in what God has already purchased? You ever wonder what's on the other side, just a little bit of effort? I'm talking about, say, you know what? God, you did all of this so that I could have joy and peace and contentment in my life. The Bible says that he was made to be sin who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Probably the number one thing I get convicted about is righteousness. Being right. Being right. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and he convicts us about being wrong And we're like, ah, I'll get right later. Do you know what it cost for us to be right? He was made sin who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Look, being right is not an option. Being right is an almighty privilege that was purchased for me on the cross of Calvary. And so when I sit in a church service and the Holy Spirit convicts me about something, and I shouldn't just blow it off. I'll talk about that later. No, a great price was paid that I could be right with God. And oh, I ought to accept that offer quick. I'm not going to let the sun go down on my unrighteousness. I'm going to make sure I'm right with God. Why? Oh, the opportunity to be right with him came at a high, high cost. If we understood the cost... You'd think about the offer. My dad's probably told this story before, but I'll tell it again, okay? We, we, we kind of were in the same house growing up, so some of our stories are going to overlap, okay? We were in Mexico. I probably was 14 years old. We're down in Mexico, the church my grandparents built. And, uh, after the service, this gentleman comes up, and uh, he walks up with this little pig. 
this pig's just squealing. And we didn't speak great Spanish, and we're sitting there talking with him. Dad's talking with them. And uh, the interpreter says, Brother Andrews, this man is bringing you his pig. And we're like, well, you know, you can't take those back across the border. <laughs> He's like, no, to eat is a gift. If I'm not mistaken, it was his only pig, right? It was his only pig. And because he came down, Dad came down to preach, folks came down from America to preach and to do Bible schools down there. He wanted to give something that meant something. And he was giving his one little only piglet. No, we didn't take it. But boy, it really changed our thinking a little bit when you realize what he was offering. Wow. This is not like, hey, go get one of the pigs so we can feed the visiting preacher. No, it was go get the pig so we can feed the preacher. And man, I, I barely remember, dad remembers it better than I do, but I barely remember it, man, that guy there with that pig. You're thinking, wow, wow, what an offer. What an offer. He's offering that up. And I think about that in light of all that God offers me and the price that he was willing to pay for me to have what he offers. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Look, if you're lost here tonight, can I tell you, I'd get saved as quick as I could. And I think you would if you understood the offer of what it cost. That offer that he's coming to you and presenting to you to be saved Oh, it came at a high price. It came at a high price. That was his only begotten son. And he says, here, I'm offering for you so that you can go to heaven. Oh, I'd snap it up in a heartbeat. But if you're saved here tonight, do you know that everything that God offers you came along in that package deal? That peace he's trying to give you in your life, but you don't want it. That opportunity to repent and be right with God Oh, it came at a high price. The sinless son of God had to become sin to the extent his father turned his back on him. Also, you could be right. And I could be right. I think we need to understand the offer a little better. That whatever he's knocking on your heart's door about, it was expensive. He's not offering you a knickknack, a tchotchke. He's offering you something that costs his only begotten son his life, salvation, and then after salvation, all the graces of the Christian life that he offers you. And we just say, ah, good grief. I got to hurry up, get out of here. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Tonight, if God's dealing with your heart or has dealt with your heart, can I tell you what he's offering you? He's offering you something to have. He's offering you something real. I don't know what it is, but he's offering you something to have. Salvation. Or maybe he's offering you the opportunity to be right, to have joy or peace in your life. He's offering you something real. But the second thing, you've got to participate. God's not going to force his will on you. You've got to choose to believe it. And if you really believe he's offering you what he's offering you, then you're going to receive it. If you believe it. And finally, what helps get us over the hump a little bit is to realize, wow, God's already paid the price for what he's offering me. And during the invitation time, you know what we say? Deal. Deal. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed tonight. Let's stand to our feet. Is God dealing with you tonight about something?
Is God trying to deal with you? Holy Spirit, maybe he's been working on you. I know how he works on me. And he's knocked and he's offered. He's knocked and he's offered. And we've just kind of looked at it lightly. Ah, you know, I'll take care of that later. He's offering you something real tonight. But you're going to have to participate in it. You've got to decide, do I really believe what God's offered me? If you do, receive it. Remembering a high price was paid to have what God's offering you. Father, I thank you for your word.